Hello, my fellow believers. This is Andrew Jensen. Welcome to another episode of the Life Well Lived podcast. This is another great one. A God who loves us. So, sit back, relax, and if you're on the treadmill, glad you're tuning in and enjoy the show. This was also dated October 4th, 1992. Come to the subject of the love of God. Talking about a God who loves us. God who loves you. Would you turn with me, please, in your New Testament to the third chapter of John, John in chapter 3. And if you are without a New Testament, uh, take the Pew Bible and uh, open up there to page 1140. 1140 will open up the pages there to the third chapter of John. And while you are finding your place, let me tell you a story that happened several years ago. It was several years just before his death that the famed Swiss theologian Karl Barth was invited to come for a lectureship here in the United States. And after one of his uh, lectures at a university, he opened it up for questions. And there was one student who asked a typical American question and said, Dr. Barth, what is the greatest thought that has ever passed through your mind? How would you answer that? What is the greatest, most lofty thought that has ever gone through your mind. Karl Barth had written volumes during his lifetime and had changed some of his convictions, premises. So uh, all of these students were kind of on the edge of their seats wondering what he was going to say. But he replied in a very simple way, right at the end of his life now, and he said, the greatest thought that has ever gone through his mind is, <clears throat> Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. This morning I want for us to look at the love of God manifested through the giving of his son Jesus on a cross for you and for me. And I would like for us to examine this morning the 16th verse, which has been called the miniature Bible. And I'd like for us to read that together in unison. So would you join with me this morning the reading of John chapter 3 and verse 16. So together, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That statement was made in reply to Nicodemus. This is Jesus who makes this statement. And when he stated it, he also put it into a context and he went on to say, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Would you unite your heart with me in prayer? Father, as we listen to these words spoken so many years ago and recorded for us today, we would pray that you would give to our minds clear understanding of them. And then, our Father, we would pray that you would be gracious to give to our hearts that ability to, to experience this love. And then, Lord, would you soften our wills so that we might be responsive to your love. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think of all of the attributes that God has, probably the least maybe understood or preached about is uh, 
the holiness of God. But the one that is most misunderstood and sometimes distorted is, I think, without question, the love of God. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of what I mean. For the last number of years, I have carried on a um, um, kind of letter-writing um, time with a friend of mine back east who is a member of the ACLU. And needless to say, we are usually on the opposite poles of things. And in his last letter, which is a response to one of mine, uh, he cited a trichotomy that I embrace in which he says that he cannot embrace. And that trichotomy is this. God is omnipotent. That is, he has all power. Secondly, that God is omniscient. That is, that he knows all things. And thirdly, that God is beneficent. That is, he is caring and loving. Then he goes on to explain. He says this is contradictory. You can have any two, but not all three. Then he gives an illustration. The child dies a horrible death in a house fire. Could God have saved her? Did God know about it? Did God care? A leader I know of uh, had spent nearly all of his life in encouraging other people. He's a Christian leader. And then was devastated at some of the problems that uh, his own children were having. And uh, he cried out to God and he says, God, I think that I take better care of your children than you take care of mine. Have you ever had any of those kinds of thoughts? Have you ever had uh, an inability to... to uh, to believe that God can be all-knowing, all-powerful, and perfectly loving? Have you ever had some adversities strike your life and you felt, hey, God doesn't love you or those adversities never would have happened? I think most of us have had some of those bad, illogical moments of, of that kind of thinking. And that's why we need to come back to that which is objective so that we properly understand something about God's love. And this morning I've chosen to deal with this subject of our loving God in the context of this very familiar verse. When I do that, I feel like I just have a, a cup that I'm trying to drain the whole Pacific Ocean with. You know, there's so much there in this 16th verse. But there are five great truths that I do want to underline and highlight, which I think are very evident from the text, which you can all see. And you can see there from your uh, sermon notes uh, some of the way that I'd like to develop it this morning. First of all, I want us to notice that the source of God's love is God. The occasion for God's love is God. We read right here, it is God who so loved us. Why does God love us? It's because he cannot help but do that. For the simple reason that God is love, that's his essence. Just like innately we are sinful and so we sin, so God is love, and therefore he loves. He cannot help but love us. Um, the apostle, as he reflected on these words of Jesus a number of years later, wrote his first letter. And in 1 John, that first letter in the fourth chapter in the ninth verse, he wrote, God is love, and this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. We learn very clearly from the Word of God that this God who hates evil and who judges evil, this God who knows all things, this God who has all power, this God is a loving God and He loves us. The source of God's love is God Himself because that's His very essence. God is love. He cannot help but love us. And in all of His governmental dealings with people, it comes out of a holy love, out of a wise love, but love is always there in all of His dealings with us. Secondly, the object we learn from this verse of God's love is the world, and it's the world of mankind because we read here that God so loved the world. Now, I think probably most of us identify here with Charlie Brown, who said, I love the world. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> and this text tells us that God loves Danes. He even loves Swedes. <laughs> he loves Germans. He loves Jews. He loves Arabs. This might surprise you, but God even loves Americans. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world and their parents too. He loves the civilized and he loves the savage. He loves the cultured and he loves the illiterate. God even loves pastors. And he loves his people. God loves those who are not his people. God loves the criminal, not the crime. He loves the liar, but not the lie. He loves the rebel, but not the rebellion. God loves you, each one of you. We read right here that God so loved the world. That means he loves you. This is a personal kind of a love. And that's why he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him, whichever one of those people believe and respond, will have eternal life. I'd like for us to read this verse again, but to change one part of it. I'd like for you to, to read it out loud and substitute for the two words, the world, your first name. And I want you to read that loud enough so that you can hear it. So that you can see what the Bible says about God's love for you. So together, let's read this out loud, substituting your first name for the words, the world, okay? Together. For God so loved that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Paul, the apostle, personalized that very truth when in Galatians chapter 2 he said, he loved me and gave himself for me. Have you ever memorized that statement? He loved me and gave himself for me. Will you say that with me? He loved me and gave himself for me. 
The source of God's love comes out of his own essence because he is a God of love. And the object of his love, love always has to have an object. And the object of his love is you, the world of mankind, people for whom his son came to die. Now I want you to notice, thirdly, the measurement of this love, of God's love. This measurement of God's love is infinite. We really cannot understand it completely. It's given to us here in a couple of, uh, of statements. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I suppose that the biggest, littlest word in the entire Bible is this word, so. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Apostle Paul was praying for the Ephesian Christian uh, that he knew, and he said, I pray that you might be able to grasp with all of the saints what is the, the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ so you will be able to know that which, is, that which surpasses knowledge. Now, the love of Christ is not unknowable. We can know it. We can experience it. But we will never fully know it because it's bigger than we can even know. But the Apostle Paul said, I pray that you will begin to grasp it, that you'll be able to get hold of, of something about its, its length and something about its width and something about its height and something about its depth, that you might be able to know that which surpasses knowledge. It is knowable, though we will never know everything about it. But if you want to know how big this word so is, how what, what, what is meant here when, when Jesus said to Nicodemus that God so loved the world, then you have to know that it's measured by what that love gives and by the sacrifice that it makes in order to give it. And that is delineated for us here when it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's a beautiful story about a father during the World War taking his son down the, uh, down the, um, the street for a walk. And, and his boy said, Daddy, how come some of these homes have stars in their windows? Some of you will remember that. And the father said, well, that just simply shows us that that family there has given a son during this terrible war. And the little boy um, just kind of walked on silently and kind of digesting that information. And then he looked up and he saw there in the uh, sky the, uh, the evening star just shining brightly. And he said, Daddy, he said, that must mean that God has given his son, doesn't it? <laughs> right on target. Absolutely. In the terrible war against evil, God gave his son because that was the only way that evil could be defeated. That was the only way that, that we could be released from our sins. It was God who paid the price. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's why Paul said in the fifth chapter of Romans that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's why in the last book of the Bible it says that he loved us and freed us from our sins 
by his own blood. Augustine said that it's the cross that is God's pulpit. And it's from the pulpit of the cross that we learn that God loves us. It is at the cross that we have the irrefutable, objective, verifiable evidence that God loves us. It happened in time. It happened in space. It happened in history. We know that God loved us. It was an infinite kind of a love. And it was spilled out and spelled out at the cross of Calvary when God in the person of his son Jesus died in our place. Now that is so important to grab hold of because I think all of us will have some terrible providences that can touch our lives that will make us sometimes question if God really does love us or not. Sometimes it will make us think illogically that God can't be all-knowing and all-powerful and also perfectly loving. Sometimes we might make the statement like this leader did who said, God, I think that I take better care of your children than you take care of mine. Let me say three things about the need to get hold of this fact that objectively, irrefutably, verifiably, God loves us because of the cross. If we ever say that or think that we take better care of God's people than God takes care of us, that implies that we are kinder, fairer, and more loving than is God. And that doesn't wash, and we know that. In fact, that person who made that statement repented. He just realized how wrong he was as he, as he processed all of that through his own life. Secondly, if we ever say those kind of statements that God doesn't love us, or if we think that God may not love us because of the hardships that we sometimes face, that doesn't affect God's love. It will still continue. It doesn't matter what you say about it. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter if you doubt it or if you don't even believe it. God is still going to continue to love you. And that love is still a fact that is irrefutable. And it's verifiable at the cross because it took place in history when God gave us himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And thirdly, I want to say that that irrefutable, objective, verifiable action of God's love on the cross is something that we need to think through. I mean, we need to rationalize through. That's why it is there, so that we can think properly. And that's okay. We need to process it sometimes because often we, uh, we stumble when we start to think with our feelings. Paul rationalized it when he said in the 8th chapter of Romans, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely with him give us all that we need? What the Apostle Paul did, he argued from the greater to the lesser. If God gave us this great manifestation of his love so that we could be loosed and freed from the fetters of sin, so that our destiny would be changed, so that we could be with God forever, if God took care of our greatest need, do you not think he's going to take care of our lesser needs too? Do you not think that his wisdom and his providence and his sovereignty is going to be monitored and governed and sifted by all of his love? Of course it will be. And so we need to think it through in a very rational way. 
if God has given to us the greatest of all gifts of love, certainly he is going to care for us and nothing will ever be permitted to sever us from his love. So we just simply need to think it through rationally. And that's why it's recorded for us right here in this book. Sometime you're going to have some providences that are going to hurt your life. You're going to wonder, what in the world? What happened? Where is God's love? It's at that time you need to come back to such a statement like we have right here. Hey, God so loved me that he gave his one and only son for me so that I would not perish but have eternal life. And if God spared not his own son for me, surely he is going to care for me in all of these different processes and, and, and problems that I have. The fourth thing that I want you to notice from this verse is that the continuing of God's love is absolutely unbreakable because it says here that we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. So a couple of statements that I want to capture out of the Old Testament that I think are so good. One is found in the um, 49th chapter of, of Isaiah, and there we have a question that asks this, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Is that possible? Is it possible for a mother to forget the baby at her breast? Is it possible for a mother to have no compassion on the child she has born? Yeah, it is. Happily, you don't see it too frequently, but you see it. Yeah, I know what has happened. Yeah. The statement here is, though she may forget, I will not forget you. God cannot forget us. And he will not forget us. It's one of the strongest statements about God's continuing love for us. There's another statement I want to call to your remembrance from the book of Lamentations. Lamentations were, oh, the grief songs that Jeremiah wrote when he was at the darkest point of Israel's history, when the city was burned to the ground and the temple was destroyed and POWs were taken, all kinds of cannibalism, everything else was taking place in that city. It was just the devastating worst of times. There was a little remnant that was left that just was there to see all the smoldering smoke of everything, and Jeremiah was among that. And Jeremiah so identified with his people at that time, he said, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. You talk about deep, dark, black, cloudy depression, and Jeremiah had it. And then he does something. He climbs out of those terribly dark feelings by calling to mind something. He then begins to think. And he says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It was in that time of gloom that Jeremiah all of a sudden began then to remember even these prophecies that he had been instrumental to give about the coming Messiah and the law, how it was looking forward and anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he called all of that to mind and knew that God would never forget his word. And that gave to him that hope then to just 
flamed into a wonderful fire, reminding himself that God's faithfulness is always there and sufficient for every day of our needs. Now, we can lose assurance of that, but we can never be loosed from the reality of it because his love is always there. It is unbreakable. And that's why when we think through some of these things that the Apostle Paul thought through, we can kind of go along in that flow. He said, he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, will he not also give us all that we need? And then he goes on to say that I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor, nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any imaginable circumstance will be able to sever us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a rational thought. And it was all based upon that one objective, irrefutable, verifiable event in history of God's love being displayed at the cross. And that was demonstrated there for its reliability through the empty tomb. The last thing I want you to, to observe from this uh, verse here is that the enjoyment of God's love, however, is a choice. Its source is God. Its object is you. Its measurement is infinite because it can only be measured by the infinite sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The continuance of that love for you is unbreakable, but the enjoyment of it is dependent upon the choice that you will make. It is a choice, and it is optional because the statement says here, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That word translated belief is the same word that we translate faith. Whoever has faith in him, whoever has trust in him, whoever has confidence in him, whoever relies in him, whoever responds to him. It's possible not to respond to love. It's possible to wound love. Some of you have gone through some devastating times and you know what it means to have your own love wounded. And God's love has been wounded because people have not responded. And when they have not responded, they have not enjoyed the freedom and the forgiveness and the help and the hope that it gives. This past week, I read a story, a true story, about a, a high school senior who was raised in a very wealthy home and lived in a very affluent community. And uh, the peer pressure was on because the common thing that parents gave to their graduating seniors from high school was a brand new car. How do you like that, students? Isn't that something nice, huh? And so at springtime, he and his dad went to all the car dealerships trying to find what would be the, you know, the right car for him. And so they finally found this you know, nice, shiny, fast car. And uh, this student knew that, boy, you know, come graduation day, you could just see that, that shiny car sitting out there in the driveway with the keys all wrapped up for him. What a disappointment it was to him on the eve of his graduation when there was no car there. Instead, his dad had given to him a box, small box, not so big, so tall, all wrapped up very nicely. He opened it up. And inside that box was a Bible. That boy was so angry at his disappointment, thinking that his dad was going to give him this nice car and all he got was a Bible, he threw it on the ground and went out the door. He never saw his dad again. 
Several years went by, and his father died. And so this son came home now for the first time since he had left for the funeral. And after the funeral, he came back into the house where he had been raised. And he went through all of these different papers and all those kinds of things that you have to do at that time in life. And he came across this Bible that his father had given to him. For the first time, after he blew off the dust, he cracked it open. First time he opened it. And when he opened it, out fluttered cashier's check. Dated the day that he was to have graduated from high school, the exact figure of the car that they had selected. I'll tell you, that changed that young man the rest of his days. In my lifetime, I have seen thousands and thousands of Bibles. I mean, I look out the congregation here, I watch the people come in and go out, Bibles in their hands. I've just seen thousands of Bibles. But I've never seen a Bible yet with a cashier's check in it for a car. I've never seen a Bible with a cashier's check in it. But I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of Bibles. And every one of them has in it something far better than a cashier's check for a car. Because in every one there was a message about an infinite sacrifice on a cross where God's love is with us. It's infinite. It has broken the power of sin. It has freed us from hell. It has given to us life that is eternal. It was all wrapped up in the gift of his son. He gave his son. That was God who came in the flesh and died for us and shed his blood and verified it through the empty tomb. That's an infinite kind of a love. A couple years ago, I met with a student at the University of Oregon who was going through a lot of crises in her life and kind of desperate. And so um, there was some contact here with the village. And so she called me up. I had not met her before and, and made an appointment. And we talked about some of the issues that were confronting her. And, and so in that conversation, I shared with her about God's love that was displayed at the cross and verified at the empty tomb. And, and she had a lot of questions about that, and so we tried to be as helpful as we could. And as our time um, very quickly, you know, uh, expired, why we, I sent her back uh, to school with a book about some of the essentials of the Christian faith, and I told her to, to read it and to mark it up and to come back with questions, whatever she had. Well, she did just that. And she read it very, very carefully, and she did have some questions, and we tried to answer those as best that we could. And uh, I just remember as the culmination of all of that, I said, now, is the person of God and what he did for you in the cross, is that all understandable? Do you understand that now? And she said, yes. And I said, are you now ready to make that decision? to respond to him in faith, confidence, and trust, and ask the Lord Jesus to be your Savior. Are you ready for that? She looked at me, and I'll never forget her, her, her statement to me. She said, I suppose that if I refused that gift 
that would be the, she had these two words, the ultimate rejection, wouldn't it? And I said, you're absolutely right. It would be the ultimate rejection. And then I remember how she bowed her heart and expressed her personal confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. She had a choice. She could either enjoy now the love of God or she could reject it. And she made the right decision. One thing I cannot understand is how some people cannot respond to it. Why they allow pride to be erected between their heart and God's heart. But a gift to be enjoyed needs to be received. And God's love, which is infinite and measureless and unbreakable, can be wounded if we throw it away and want no part of it. Or it can be enjoyed when we receive it. I'd like for you to turn with me to some wonderful words in our hymnal. Would you turn with me, please, to, the, to hymn number 67? I want you to notice the words in this um, hymn that are recorded here. This was the tune that was in the background of the four people who were part of the sketch, who had different kinds of responses. Uh, these words were written by Frederick Lehman. And uh, this is a marvelous statement. It's just a marvelous song. And I want you to notice these words. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, that is, our first parents, the human race, bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. When years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and the angels' song, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels' song. Now we come to the third stanza. The third stanza was not written by Frederick Lehman. We do not know who, who it was that authored these words. Uh, they were found as scribbled on the walls of a mental institution by someone who had been pronounced there, at least by the authorities, as being a person who was mentally deranged. Somehow, some way, someone came and shared the message of God's love for all people, no matter who they are or what their condition is. And in response to that, that person scribbled on the wall these words, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Do you understand the love of God? Have you experienced the love of God? Have you received the love of God? Have you put your trust in the love of God? If you haven't, this is the time to do it. This is the time to, to say, Oh God, I know that you love me because it's been displayed 
at the pulpit of the cross, verified in history through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the person who responds to that love, who embraces that gift and who receives it into the light, is a person then who is released from sin and from guilt. And if you haven't ever done that, you've never made that personal decision, then now is the time. And we're going to stand, we're going to sing just this third stanza. And if you need to make that decision, I hope that you'll do that. Don't wait. Enjoy it. Don't make an ultimate rejection. Receive it and allow God's love to embrace you and to forgive you. Let's stand together just as we sing this this third stanza. It's your invitation. We just love to meet with you, pray with you, try to answer your questions, however we can be of help to you. The third stanza. Could we with thee the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made for every star on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the Lift our voices, oh love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure, the saints and Wow, that was really powerful that God loves not just the people who believe in him, but he even loves the wicked. Well, that does it for this time. Tune in next time for The Place of Refuge. And also, don't forget to share and subscribe. Till next time, signing off. Bye.